Darwin Borden, Darwin Borden, that Marilyn cut her finger and rushed her to the intensive care. So I don't know the extent. Our telephones weren't working. Our telephones weren't working. It just took the message. I couldn't communicate with him. And then I called his cell, and he was unable to take a call. But hopefully, during the worship service, we'll find out and bring an update. Are we ready to begin? Give me a kind of a, a countdown from 10 or so, will ya? So good to see the pastor, Reverend George Groves, with us. I had a, a Groves family in Staples, Ken and Joanne Groves. Wonderful, wonderful. Is Robin upstairs? Five seconds. We want to welcome you all to all of it, United Methodist Church here in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. It's a real privilege and honor ministering to um, our congregation, the area, by way of Radio 980, 980 AM, and then also um, our local television station here. We have many activities that are going on during the week. We have a um, eight ways, gateways group that's going to be meeting here also. But um, as we um, begin our service this morning, we're trying different forms of worship. We've used different scriptures. And um, I, evidently our class has not been dismissed yet. Not every member of our service is here, but we're gonna be beginning. So um, if you would turn with me, be so kind to turn with me to the Great Commission Page 624, we take this directly from our, from our um, hymnal. We reproduce all of our hymnals, all of our cushions have been removed from the sanctuary, and any printed material you can take home, you can take home with you. So the Great Commission, according to um, Matthew chapter 28, Luke 24, and Acts 1 and Mark 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some of them 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and made Jesus do that for you and I today and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Robbinsdale and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen. Father, this morning as we congregate, we do remember the Borden family. Darwin was very distressed this morning. We don't know the, the degree of damage in the cut in Marilyn's hand, but we just pray that, Father, you'd be with the specialists and the doctors caring for the situation. Be with us, O oh Lord, today as we examine the, the scriptures. We pray for Lee as he provide special music today and for Mike as he shares moments with the laity and, and as we look into um, scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17, open the scriptures, Lord, and help us to find not only refuge in Jesus Christ, but the prominent principles of our salvation. We pray for our country. We pray, O oh Lord, for the situations around the world. We pray, dear God, as we ask you to put peace in the hearts of those who are filled with hate for this country, for the recovery of the patients with COVID-19, and for protection for those who have not yet suffered the infection. I ask you, God, for help to find what will end COVID-19. I ask for the Holy Spirit to guide all people towards peace. And for the ones who don't know you, Lord, we pray that you will open their hearts and let your Holy Spirit come into their hearts. We thank you this morning for all the blessings you have given us and, and, and our families. We pray for Dar and the Grove family. We thank you for Reverend Grove being, being with us today. Keep us safe from harm and keep us well. Lord, we continue to pray that we all become one again, that we love and teach others more about you. Bless our military men and women, take care of them, and watch over them as we pray for the United States of America. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Lord, teach us this morning to pray as you taught your disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This time it's a special privilege as Lee comes and Clarice, uh, a number that's... Um, would you like to introduce the number and why you chose this number, Lee? That's a question I get by the television audience and radio. They, they wonder how we choose our music.
things you think of me. Mike, would you please come and share? Wonderful job there, Clarice and Lee and Lee and Clarice. I'm sure that, you know, Pastor George, there are times when you were preaching and, and there was a special musical number that conveyed a, such a wonderful message and you just kind of wanted to change it, you know. It's just so powerful. Wasn't that powerful to the heart? And I know you have a real heart for music in that. Amen. You ready, Mike? Yeah. Good morning, brothers and sisters. My first thought, this verse began in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through uh, 17. Something we should realize first that God, Jesus, now and our Savior, is also our protector. But he protects us consistently spiritually. More often than not, attacks on ourselves set out as material matters, in a physical form. And when you say that somebody doesn't have the Spirit of God in them, you might figure out, what do you mean? Can it be easily? He said, no, no, that's not it. What the devil does is find weak spots, weak points, and he attacks it and uses them against it to draw you away from God. Searching the word brings an explanation of why he attacks us as well. The devil has an arsenal, a regular arsenal of lies, confusions, and uh, this are things that he can use, he does use often, holy word from Father God. And he particularly attacks Christians to draw us further away from God. But be a good cheer, brothers and sisters. We're safe from that. So happens now and a lot of time. And to no effect. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is preparing our spiritual defense to the armor of a Roman soldier. This applies to us today as well when he mentions world rulers of this present darkness. I will cover all the particular pieces of defense of our armor with the exception of the shield. But the one thing I do want to mention, we do have offense. We do have offense weapons. Two of them, prayer and the written word. Thanks to Jesus, we are equipped with armor that start the shield of faith, and those deflect the enemy's uh, arrows. But in verse 18, I'm going to go a little farther now. We found out our main weapon against the enemy is prayer. We have a God who lets us wield a shield and a sword. Prayer is the sword. The shield is the word. As bad things, as bad as things may look or are as they can get. 
We always have prayer. And we always have the word fall back on. Satan cannot win. He cannot defeat us permanently. He is being defeated in his place. We'll always victorious over Satan and his schemes because of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away, the new has come. In Christ, means if you have rooted your faith in Jesus Christ, and you secure it, you become one with Christ. You become one with Jesus. And you know what? You're a new creation of Father God's eyes. With faith in Jesus, who looks down at you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son. Unfortunately, I know we're covered, but we may still commit some of the old sins that we had before faith took hold our life. Or we certainly have faith in Jesus. Occasionally, you might fall back on those sins. But now we have a new offense, or a new defense, I should say. We can ask for forgiveness and seek repentance from all of our problems. When we distance ourselves away from God, our words and actions, Jesus gives a safety net. We are and should consider ourselves a new model human when we're born again. Those past and those come, of course. But let's look at it another way. Instead of looking outside of ourselves for joy and them, oh, I know, this will make me happy if I do this. This will make me happy if I go there. This will, this will make me happy if I watch this on TV. No, no, no. That's completely besides the point now that you're a Christian. Do you know where you look? Inside. Your contentment, your happiness, and your joy. You don't need a pleasure. You don't need a radio. You don't need a TV. You don't need anything outside yourself. Because you are the home of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, Holy Spirit lives here. That is where you find your contentment. Second Corinthians first five, chapter five, verse seventeen. Says again, the old kind has come. You know why we change the way we live? Because our destination is changed through Christ. We don't live as those of old because we have hope. We not only have hope, but we contain hope. And we should share that hope with others. Instead of looking at ourselves from outside, our joys and entertainment, we look internally. And we can replace the guilt we feel when we sin with a joy, a joy of being redeemed and confidence that the Lord has bought that himself on the cross and died for. That's where our joy comes from. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean we didn't sin or don't sin. 
But now we don't find the same satisfaction when we turn to our old ways. We don't get the same charge out of, of doing the sin. When we are not doing the Lord's will, now we know. It's called discernment, brothers and sisters. We can discern all. I'm not going to do that because that's going to pull me away from God. That's going to bring me that much closer for being away from Him. It's not necessary to do that. Despite the fact it's already covered if we do that action or say those words, we can say, no, push it aside. And choose the behavior or actions that please the Lord, not Distance us from him. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and Boone and Tina and Lee and Kathy for sharing. Um, this was a particularly hard week. Seems like all weeks are kind of full and packed. And, um, but whenever I experience a suicide or so, it's it's a difficult time. Um, a family. I believe that watches by way of television or listens by way of radio, 980. Um, and if you know them, they contacted me and their 33-year-old military son had committed suicide. And just um, a few days or almost a few hours before that, I, or it was actually the night before, um, at about 10 o'clock at night, we received, this, we have a, a real great guard dog. It's our, actually our son's. It's a Rhodesian. It's a Rhodesian um, Ridgeback, and they're raised to chase off lions and tigers in Rhodesia, and we haven't had any trouble with with lions or tigers in Brooklyn Park. As they were rapping on the door, you know, I um, we didn't know really to answer or not, but then. There was like five or six squad cars and a um, fire department arrived and I just went outside and I heard a number of people calling my name and it was just our next door neighbor, our next door neighbor, um, who um, I had actually, they worshipped with us. They would come in and they'd worship in the back pews and I performed their wedding and he was from Kenya and she was Caucasian and wonderful neighbors and very faithful in church and faithful in giving here. And, and then they, as they started coming, they requested me to do their wedding and very, very big wedding. That was like seven years ago. But in that first year or two, they started to kind of drift more into the world. And there's issues of abuse in that. And then just, um, um, a couple evenings ago, um, when we were woken um, with law enforcement, and, um, Jody was found dead, dead in her house, our immediate next door neighbor. And I um, do cover your prayers, it's still under investigation, and in that there was a restraining order, no trespass order. Um, so many things up in the air. It's instances like this that cause a, a change. You can kind of be prepared um, Saturday night to deliver a, a message, but it, you know, God says, the Holy Spirit kind of says, 
change it, change it a little bit. And I'd like to uh, speak to you um, why you and I should be a Christian. And thank God that Jody had accepted the Lord. And I'll be um, sharing that her service. And actually, we knew Jody before we came to um, um, all of it because she was the caregiver at Innsbruck Nursing Home for um, my father and mother-in-law, Chris's parents. And she was such a wonderful caregiver, and we didn't realize that she lived next door to us until you know, there were conversations that were going on. Um, I believe there's a number of reasons, a number of reasons that you should be a Christian. You should be a Christian. Every, every pastor is asked, what do you get out of being a Christian? If you were to be asked that question, what do you really get out of being a Christian? And that's, that's a good question. That, that's a question that should be answered. Now, one thing for certain, one or the other of us is right during conversations. Either you are right and I am wrong, or I am right and you are wrong. It's like a, like a bank balance. There's really only one right answer. And according to you or I, I, I should in the culture that we live in, the world that we live in, we should learn to drink just a little bit. Just to be social. Just a little bit. Or we, we should be allowed to gamble just, just a little bit. And we should be allowed to visit the bright lights. You claim you see life. I claim that the Christian life is the best life, and I will tell you just four of many reasons today. First, because there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, There is thou therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now that's the worst part about the life that you and I live as sinners. The guilty feelings. I was employed by a side job at Northern Lights Christian Counseling Session. And, and the counseling sessions were like $100 an hour. And it really wasn't a full hour. It was only 50 minutes. People came in repeatedly about guilt feelings. They're a part of the package of being, being a human being. Guilt. A drinking person in the morning, you have a head that feels twice its normal size. You have a brown taste in your mouth. You have bloodshot eyes and shaking hands. And it takes, it takes more. And it costs you and, and it affords you and less and less to find enough courage to keep on playing that comedy. I call it a comedy of life. John 3.18 says that the one that believeth not in Christ is condemned already. Those of you who are listening by way of radio or by way of television, 
John speaks to you today that the one that believeth not in Jesus Christ is condemned already. You don't have to um, go to church to um, feel bad. And I hear a number of people say that, oh, I go to church and I feel bad. You can get that feeling sitting at a bar or, or at a racetrack or at a club. The one that believeth not in Jesus John 3.18. Belief is important. That's, that's our advantage, folks. It isn't something any denomination has done for us. It's something that Jesus has done for us. John chapter 5, verse 24 reminds us that, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that the one that heareth Jesus' words and believeth on Jesus, that sent me the God who sent Jesus has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. That is, but they passes from death to life, according to John 5, 24. You may have your, your case settled out of court, be it dismissed. You don't have to be afraid to die. That's that's a great way to live. To know that charges won't be pressed against you at judgment day. How can I live this way? Because Jesus took my place. Jesus took my place, took your place. He, he paid the penalty in full. My And your obligation is now no longer to the flesh, but it's to Jesus Christ. That is the meaning of Calvary. God has placed sufficient credit to my account. My business is to use it. You dig back into English history and you'll discover an amazing, I consider it an amazing, illustration of, of what I have just told you about Scripture. When Charles I was Prince of Wales, he, he had a whipping boy. A whipping boy? Whenever Charles, the prince, did anything that he should not do, his tutors would take this perfectly innocent boy and belabor the dust out of him with a great licking while the prince looked on. They could not whip the prince because the prince was a prince. He was, he was to be the future king of England. Now, God asked Jesus Christ, his son, to take our lickings. He was, the scripture says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. And that's a healing that Joe claims, I claim, Shar claims, those who may be listening. It's by that body that was broken, that blood that was shed, we claim that healing. Isaiah chapter 53, 5. The world, the flesh, the devil don't do that for you. Right. You accept Jesus Christ. You accept the fulfillment of the promises of the Holy Spirit. He paid it all. There's no mortgage on your soul. There's no interest to pay to the devil. You are free. 
you are free because of Calvary. Now, it's, it's like asking for political asylum. If you understand the, the system of political asylum, there's no prosecutor, there's, there's no agent, there's no government can force you out from under the flag, the flag that you've chosen to be under to protect you. That's why we, we, we stand for the flag. We don't kneel to the flag. We kneel to Christ and we stand for the flag. That's the principle. God offers to you and I this banner and the chase ends. At Calvary, Calvary, you are no longer a fugitive. The cross, it standeth fast, defying every blast. The winds of hell have blown and the world hates has shown, yet it is not overthrown. Hallelujah for the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, this morning, um, you and I are, are free of the accuser, or the ac- accusation. And sometimes we as Christians, we do a pretty good job of accusing ourselves without Satan and the evil, and evil one accusing us. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 33, who shall lay a thing to the charge or accusation of God's elect. We've um, been living amid months, months of accusations. It's an illness. It's a virus. It has reached towards the highest and the most privileged of places. Accusations are not trials. Accusations do not require a testimony. Accusations do not require a conviction. But charges can be pressed. The story is, is told of a person who had been married only one year. And his wife was, was accusing him. And in the middle of her accusation, he pleaded, But my dear... My dear, when you married me, you took me for better or worse, didn't you? And yes, she answered bitterly, you are worse than I took you for. Now, the believer, the believer is accused by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is that external thing in which we live, but by which we are told not to be a part of. We are told to be separate. It even goes as far to say that the world will look upon us as a peculiar people because we don't want to participate in their type of activities. It criticizes us before God. Have you ever heard the statement, you think you are a Christian? You think you are a Christian? And they go on to say, some Christian you are. But the world has no standing before God. It's... It's a, it's a prejudicial witness. It, it's a testimony that's biased. Jesus said in John, the 16th chapter, the 33rd verse, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And we belong to Jesus, the, the overcomer. And we're not responsible for this worldly system. We're responsible to, to Jesus Christ. Now the flesh accuses, the flesh is 
that something inside that reveals our failings and our mistakes, our strivings, strivings after righteousness and our inability to reach that goal. I've heard a complaint made that you'll never make it. See, you're, you've tried and you failed. But as a Christian, I've always been more fearful of not trying than trying and then failing. The flesh is, is condemned. The flesh and the spirit are, are separate, separate kingdoms. That's like a trout trying to condemn a, clair, a canary. Or it's, it's like a geranium trying to condemn a piece of marble. They're from different kingdoms. And, and I, you and I, we live in the spiritual kingdom. And Satan, Satan has a go at us. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's his specialty. And Satan usually gets the front page, but we have an advocate. We don't have to tangle with Satan. You and I, we'd be foolish to tangle with Satan. Satan is always a lot smarter than you and I when we try to encounter his territory without Christ. Eve, the second created, learned that to her sorrow in the garden. Let Christ plead your case. We as sinners, in our problems, we've got no one to help. We're um, lonely, we're kind of inexpensively on our own. We can say we have red cross, we have red shield, we have full protection. Thirdly, this morning, there is no separation. According to Romans chapter 8, 35, who shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As a, as a chaplain, a military chaplain, pastor, colonel, I, I know what separation is like. If you've been in the military, if you've been on a deployment, it's, the, it's a cost that's imposed upon that particular ministry. I am away from my familiar territory and my loved ones so much of the time. Life was full of goodbyes and transfers. And one of the, the first agonies of a growing infant, whether you realize it or not, as you grew as an infant, is the separation anxiety that you experience from the bottle or the favorite blanket. Few of the final agonies of older folks and now I consider myself an older folk, is to be separated from my teeth or my hearing or my eyesight. The child must be separated from mother's apron strings and, and sent off to school. Little ones are terrified before they are calmed by experienced teachers. At home, the child was the center of attention. At school, the child is just another mind and body to be taught and led. 
We get accustomed to school, and when suddenly we are thrust into the economic stream of the nation, and when in school we are anxious to go to work, and after we go to work we wish we were back at school, separation continues. You meet a stranger, and you fall in love. You rip up your moorings and move into a new quarters to learn new habits. And let me say this with just a bit of humor, just a bit of humor. After marriage, the husband, of course, is separated from everything he has for the rest of his life by his wife. And could it be that it's her mission to make sure that that he bestows upon her all of his worldly goods as promised in the marriage contract? I could have said it, vice versa. We are separated from health by disease and, and stress and indulgence. We are separated from friends by foolish arguments. We are separated from prosperity by adversity. War separates young men and women from their families. And finally, that great separator meets us all. That great separator, death. Death calls and we answer. And this enemy will not take excuses. Death will not bargain. You cannot bribe death. But Romans 8, ch chapter, Romans 8, chapter 35 and Verse 35, 38, and 39 reminds us, but who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And he goes on to say, I am persuaded and I trust that you are persuaded by way of radio or by way of television or here that you need to be persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things yet to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature or creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The loneliness, the anguish, the frustration, the fear that are ours. And lastly, this morning, as we prepare to close, there is no defeat. There is no defeat. There is no defeat. Romans chapter 8, 37 says, Nay, nay, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Say it with me. Conquerors. Conquerors through Jesus that loves us. You and I cannot support a loser. And you and I are losers without Christ. Because Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. That's the poorest the poorest possible pay. Sure, the Christian has a fight. You and I have a fight. We cannot deny that fight in life. It may involve tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and the sword. All hell may be on the other side, but God is on our side. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, If God be for us, can you imagine that? If God be for us, who can be against us? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Thanks be to God 
which always causes us to triumph. Say it with me, triumph, triumph. I know that you and I are oftentimes, and I, I don't want to use the word oftentimes, but sometimes we're seen as miserable examples in our community. It's sad to see a professor, a professor of religion, of New Testament experience, who has more of a wishbone than a backbone. How is your wishbone and how is your backbone? It's ridiculous to observe a, a very supine, supine congregation that ought to be storming the stronghold of, of sin in the community. It's almost profane to, to see so-called Christians who have never won a, a soul to Jesus Christ and, and influenced one for all eternity. And I don't blame you for any lack of desire or your part to exchange your way of living for the living of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio. But Christians, we do not have to be weak. God isn't weak. God says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 17, put on the whole armor. We're to put on the whole armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, your loins girt with the truth of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, your feet showed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We don't have to be losers. I remember during my military studies that General Douglas MacArthur said that there's no substitute for victory. And I believe it. Samson discovered that. Delilah's lap was no substitute for the rout of his enemies. Peter discovered the same lesson. Curse words and denials were no substitute for the conquest over devils and diseases. Esau felt his sorrow and regret for generations to read. He learned that a, a quick bowl, a quick bowl of satisfactions, something pleasing to the flesh, can never substitute for the birthright and blessing. In the Christian, the Christian if they are truly a Christian, is a winner. And I close with this thought that crosses my mind and from an old Methodist hymnal of yesteryear that said, Hark, hark, hark. Tis a message of mercy free. Of sinner thy crimson sins are dark. But Jesus, Jesus died for thee. Lord, we've set forth just four reasons for you to for all of us to make the change. And there, there's not a better time or a more convenient moment than right now for those by way of television and radio to acknowledge the ABCs that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then B, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then C, we need to confess Him as our Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you repeat these words with me? Dear Jesus, I admit that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory in things I've done and left undone. Help me to believe in you, O Lord. I welcome you into my heart and life and give me the power through your Holy Spirit to witness to others. In Jesus' name.
Amen. At this time, we ask you to have a short word of prayer, the offertory prayer, and as you leave, if you place your offerings in the offering plate at the back of the church, we're trying to minimize close contact or any contact at all. But would you join me in this prayer, please? Gracious God, we bring our gifts to your altar, asking you to dedicate them to do the work of love and compassion in the world. We learn from Jesus, who had compassion on the crowds, who gathered to hear him teach, that putting what we have in the hands of Jesus can bring abundance. Multiply these gifts with the love in which they are offered, that they might bring hope to those in need and might glorify and celebrate your love for all of your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now for the doxology, please? sharing a few words, and Robin, would you like to come down and be prepared to share also? I, um, I realize that I'm getting older when I get these death notifications and it keeps me awake all night. I can barely kind of keep up with, um, with sleep. Kathy, would you kind of brief the congregation? So we've got a couple of 150 now. And uh, if you're at all interested 
either speak to Randy or Chris or myself. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Robin, yes. come and share. Robin, I believe, handed out some material she wanted to share. And um, we want to pray God's blessings upon the Petersons, and we're hoping that we'll travel with you. But if you need to take off, you take off, and we'll, we'll find that location for that graduation. You want to speak very slow and, and then just real close to the mic, Robin. Thank you. And then there's going to be something more scary than that. 